This is the MagicWordPodcast.com. Hello, this is Scott Wells for the MagicWordPodcast.com. This week's episode is brought to you by the Friends of the Magic Word. Those are the ones who, through their financial support, keep this podcast going week after week. We want to thank each and every one of those who have made a pledge or have given a donation from time to time. And we also encourage all of you who have not yet supported us in any financial way, if you have the ability to do so, please go to the magicwordpodcast.com and you can click on the tab that says Become a Friend of the Magic Word. You'll see a little video there, kind of maybe outdated. It was <laughs> a little bit earlier video of me, but telling you why it is that we do earnestly need your support and thank all of those who have helped in the past and who are continuing ongoing through PayPal and through Patreon.com. This week we've got a really interesting uh, and, and quite different kind of conversation. In the past, of course, we feature episodes where we have one person that talks and tells a lot of stories, and we just kind of sit and uh, have a great conversation between friends. And this is a conversation, actually, that is... Something that was presented at the Magic at the Beach convention last fall, Charles Bach had put together this convention and had a few of his friends perform and also put together this panel discussion. It is really something he had tried before and it worked so well, he said, let's try this again. It's called Tales from the Road. The idea being that uh, everyone who has been performing at some time or another has had something that has gone wrong. And uh, so I he asked if they wouldn't mind sharing some of those stories. And this particular podcast I know is enjoyed mostly for the stories that uh, magicians share that are quite candid and also some horror stories that have gone wrong. Back around the turn of the century, I was contacted by Celeste Evans, who was putting together a book, and it uh, was going to include a bunch of quote, horror stories by different magicians and wanted to know if I was interested in helping to publish that. At the time, I had too many projects going on and was unable to assist her. And also, I was thinking at the time, how many real stories would people be willing to share? In other words, if something really bad happened, I don't think people would like for other people to know about that, as I don't think magicians would like for other people to know about some of their shortcomings or their failings. They might tell the second worst story, but not necessarily the first and best worst story, if you will, you know what I mean. So I kind of felt like people would be holding back a little bit, or they wouldn't really uh, be open and sharing to this, so I thought "Mm, it would be an okay book. But she did release a book in 2008 called Has This Ever Happened to You?, I believe it might still be available and you can find from some magic bookstores. I believe it's in paperback then as well. But anyhow, as I said, Charles Bach had decided to put together this panel to have people tell some stories. And there are some wonderful stories that are shared here. And let me also say we had a little bit of a problem with the uh, microphones and also with the recording of this. I had uh, the uh, full approval from all of the guests who were sharing their stories and from 
from Charles Bach, who was producing the convention to record all of these. And they were doing their best in order to allow me to get this recorded. But one of the microphones wasn't working, and I had to amp up the volume a little bit. So anyhow, the quality of this particular uh, recording is not what I would prefer for it to be, but you're still going to get to hear the stories from everybody. And it begins with John Chirac uh, as the host, and he starts off with a story. And by the time that they had flipped on the microphone to record this for me, he was already into his introduction of this story. But you don't miss the story itself. And thereafter, there are others who uh, share their stories. John introduces Eric Buss, and then Dan Harlan, Kerry Pollack, Charles Bach, and Greg Fruin. And stick around because after that, we've got a few more, actually, that I went outside of the convention theater and asked these gentlemen if they would also share some of their stories. And so there are three more people uh, towards the end of this podcast who also share some additional stories. So stick around for that then as well. But this, again, was recorded in uh, 2023 at the Magic at the Beach in Myrtle Beach at the Charles Box Wonders Theater, which is a great place, by the way, and a great convention. We certainly had a great time. So I know that you're going to enjoy these stories, and I thank you very much for your time and attention. So please welcome all of my guests who are actually on the panel discussion here this week, hosted by Mr. John Chirac, here on The Magic Word. Thing in the, 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 it wasn't as bad. I just got a, a little pause. 
So that's my story from the road. That's what we're going to do. Yeah? Okay. So I'm kind of happy to host this because, like I said, all these guys are my really good friends. Um, you ready to go here? This is cool. Now, uh, <laughs> Eric uh, is from Tucson. I'm from Tucson, Arizona. Eric uh, grew up in Tucson, went to Sororo High School, where my kids currently attend. That's, uh, that's kind of where the story but I've known Eric since he was like 16 years old, one of the most creative guys in magic. I know you guys enjoy the show tonight. Eric, please tell us a story from the road. Uh, do I need to stand up there? Are we chilling? We're, we're in a lounge, aren't we? Can we get a bass player? Where's Ken? Play some bass. Uh, yeah, like John said, not everything goes as according to plan. And we all want to kill all the time. And usually you'll have a group of magicians and they'll all tell you how awesome they are. I know, weird. I'm here to tell you. It's not the case all the time. And I was doing a comedy club. It was in Bellingham, Washington, many, many years ago. A one-nighter, which is a horrible uh, way to start off for not fun gigs. I'm setting up my props in about 4 p.m. in a bar that's going to host a comedy club. If you don't know co- uh, comedians, they show up five minutes before they walk on stage. Magicians got to be there early. The place is dead. It's empty. Manager walks by. She says, um, who are you? And I said, oh, I'm a magician. I'm in the show tonight. And she says, well, it's a comedy show. I said, yeah. And she said, are you funny? And I said, yeah. And she's like, okay. And she just walks off. She didn't know me because her show was booked by an outside agency. The whole thing done by an outside agency. The hosts, the, the people in the club know nothing. So about an hour goes by. I'm still setting up. Some people trickle in. And two pretty much drunk trap boys bust through the door, laughing at each other. They're kind of wrestling. They're like, what's going on here tonight? And I said, oh, comedy show. You guys are doing And one of them says, are you funny? I was like, are you really asking me this? This is weird. I said, yeah, I am. They're like, hey, we'll come back. And they bust out of the door. I'm thinking, why did two people ask me if I'm funny? Holy crap, I better be funny tonight. So the show starts. And the crowd was a little rough from the beginning. They're college students, and if you don't know college crowds, they don't know what's funny yet. They're too young, and they're embarrassed to laugh at everything, and they're too politically correct, so college crowds are typically horrible. Um, so it comes to me, well, one guy comes out and says, do you guys want the clean show or the dirty show? And they say, dirty. And he says, do you want the dirty show or the twisted show? And they say, twisted. And then he launches into really, really dark humor, and he loses them immediately. He let them vote, and they didn't like him. Well, then they bring up me, and I'm doing my little thing. They're kind of clapping at the magic, but they don't know what to think of me. There's a bachelorette party out there, so I decided to bring the bachelorette up on stage to help with the trick. No flirting, just to help. And I think, well, that whole table is going to be on my side if I bring her up. I bring her up, and she's acting like I have leprosy. And she does not want to be helping, and she does not want to be close to me. And she's picking the card, and I'm thinking, this is going horribly. So then she goes to sit down, and I still have 20 minutes left in this show, which is the longest 20 minutes ever. And I keep thinking back to these people asking me if I was funny. It's their fault. They jinxed me. Well, finally, I'm performing uh, what was a very popular routine many years ago. Still, some people might still do it. Take me to written by, well, that guy, Terry Pollock. I used to do it with Barbie dolls as a puppet show. And I had a seance hand, fake hand, and said the Barbie dolls.
Barbies would be moving. And it was this, you know, trio of Barbies doing silly stuff. And it was all rhyming uh, innuendo. And there's a pause. Well, there's many pauses. But because it was a poem, um, you kind of have to keep with the rhythm. Or you're going to forget where you are. And then you got to back up and figure out where you are in the rhyming scheme. So I'm doing this. And then there's silence. And a guy from the back of the audience goes, and I just cringed, and I looked out into the darkness and said, trust me, I can't wait. And the whole crowd was with him, not me. I think I lost my place in that, put it away, got my last prop out, finished blind to the audience, got off stage, the sound guy who was unhooking my sound system kind of handed it to me, it's like, yeah, here you go, man. See ya. I walked out with my tail between my legs. It was the worst show I've ever had. But I learned something that night because the last comment, I got on stage and he said, Wow, you guys don't know what you want. That first comment gave you a choice. You didn't want the twisted humor. You didn't like the opening act. He said this. He said, You hated Mr. Magic. Well, guess what? I've performed for the troops in Afghanistan. I've performed for Harlem in Harlem for all black crowds. You guys don't scare me a bit. Here comes the first joke. And they love that guy. And I'm still looking to get that uh, that confidence. I haven't got it yet, but there you go. you got to perform with confidence. I'm done. You don't have to worry about me talking. The rest of the convention. I'm 
young Tim, who is now almost 50, who worked for me for years. I took him with me. He had started doing uh, performing, so I got him to book to open for me in Grand Cayman. And I was working at Comedy Club in uh, St. Pete Beach the week before. So he went with me. He's all excited. We go down, and I did that bathroom magic. And part of bathroom magic was while we're on stage, I did a joke earlier in my act about uh, oxygen masks, about flying in the planes and, you know, Jokes is in those oxygen masks, but they don't need those. You know where you need those? In public restrooms. That's where you need those. So I set that up so they'll call back later. And then while we're doing back to magic, these two oxygen masks, even from a high facility, they just come following down right in front of us in hand. So it was a great callback. It was a funny bit. And when I had that idea, it was at Magic Island in Houston. So I had, I was working with Michael Rappa and, and uh, no, Mike Rappa and I can't forget his name. Very nice people go that. So I had Karen in town. So I asked Karen, I said, I, I made this thing and twirled them up and I hung it and I just ran a, a cord over it. I said, Karen, but, you know, I don't know if this gag's going to work. I want to tell you. If it does, I'll put it in open and pull on it. But if you just pull it at a certain time for me, well, yeah, sure. So, so that's where I started doing it. And then I put a remote in it and I was getting ready to leave. And so I had this box. And I did my shows in St. Pete Beach, and then Tim and I, and I had this whole thing where I open up a big case and keep toilets and rise about it. was a whole restroom scene. And that was the early days. You remember that one, right? Dan? And uh, so I was doing a lot more corporate at the time. I was getting booked for more corporate work, and, and they would be scared to death when they'd see a urinal in the face. They'd be like, ah, they know. I'd say, it's not dirty, not, nothing dirty about it. It's just a funny sight back. And I'll leave that aside. I quit doing it. Took it out of my act. So it's something I pitched up in a dumpster behind uh, the club that I, when I finished my show in St. Beach. The next day, we were climbing to Grand Canyon. Uh, I was going to be there for a month. So I take, I cut the mask because I thought I could use it somewhere else probably. So I cut that and some clothes anyway that we even in Grand Canyon. And I took it right across the street and down couple hundred feet, it was a pack and chip place, you know, like a UPS store. So I took the stuff and I said, I want you to send us airmail to Cleveland, Ohio, and here's the address, and how much you want to pack it up and ship it, and he told me I paid him. And, uh, and then we had the Tampa uh, airport to fly out of the country. Uh, as a side note, this was in the middle of me being audited every year for 20 years uh, by the IRS, who probably thought I had good reason to hate the government. <laughs> I won it at the end of 20 years. I outlasted them. But. So I went out my way to Grand Canyon. This guy is opening. He hears something rattling in the box while he's talking. So he opens it up, and he sees these two oxygen masks from an airplane. They're like sweet talk as flight attendant. <laughs> I said, where can I buy those? He's like, I don't know if you can buy them. I said, no. I said, and she came by and she like, to me. And so that's a true story. So, so I, I get that. He's packing that up, and he heard something rattling, so he opens it up. I, I don't know what he thought the oxygen mask was for, but he, uh, he saw in there a circuit board with an antenna and four batteries. And because I was in a hurry to make that version, I didn't even 
I stuck it in the corner and I masked the battery, just like you see on TV. That what kind of mask? It had everything but C4 written on it. And, and I masked it. I never even thought about that. So I took out his mask in what looks like a big handful of C4 next to a receiver. And it's going airmail on a plane. And so, and I'm leaving the country. And so, I get to Grand Cayman the next day. And I get a call from the club uh, later in the day. He says, Carrie, are you sitting down? And, and I said, Bob, if you're changing the deal on Tim, you told me Tim could open, you told me you're going to pay because he was out of reputation for changing the deal sometimes. He never did it to me, Tim, from this place. No, no, no. You better sit down. And he started telling me what happened. So here's what happened. So this guy sees it, looks suspicious. He calls St. Pete Beach Police. I see a big beach out again, but it's got some nice stuff. But blocks are a little bit shorter than a big city. But. So he calls the police. The police comes to cut the Charlie's staple from the story number nine. And he shows up and he looks at it and says, yeah, that looks like a bomb. I should call the local FBI. So they call the local FBI. The FBI shows up, and they look at me and go, I looks like a bomb. They cordoned off two city blocks, evacuated two of the buildings in two city blocks, and put road blocks up. I, and I have no idea how any of this is going on at the time. And they call the bomb squad from the Phil Air Force Base in Tampa. The bomb squad comes in. Now, you think, you think the bomb squad would know, you know, have a dog or something, that's that kind of their job. And they show up and they know it's a bomb. And, and I can only think they, they knew it was a, a bomb, but they're bored because how many bombs do they get to blow up? So they brought the truck and the suits and they put it in the big tank and they just detonated all my stuff. So there were uh, some of my clothes, everything, the clothes, that prop, everything was in there. And it made the whole front page of the Tampa Tribune the next day. And it started out, you may say to me, it started out like bomb last week at the comedy club. But, but, but and that is the best part. So while they're, while they're waiting for the bomb squad to come in, the FBI is, goes out front and they see my name still on the marquee in front of the hotel that, where the club was. And they see, oh, Perry Pollock. So they walk down there and they walk in and Jimmy, the manager who knew me for years, it was cleaning up and packing the club for that night. And these uh, FBI agents walked in and they said, we're, we're looking for Terry Powell. And he says, he just left the country. He's on the way to Green Cayman. So it just keeps getting worse and worse. And now, if they even did a background check on me and saw that I was in a battle with the IRS for 20 years, that didn't that did help. I don't know if they did that or not. So there's, and he says, well, why are you looking for him? And he told them, which I didn't think they would do that. And he said, well, he tried to mail a bomb. And he started laughing. He said, Kerry bomb out a plane. You know, I know Kerry. And they said, no, it's a bomb. The bomb squad said it's a bomb. And he said, it's probably one of his props. I know his act. I have, you want me to walk over there with you? And I'll tell you what it is. And he said, no, no, it's a bomb. I think they were all just having fun with it. But they did. They, and they were looking for me. And I was kind of wanted by the FBI for a few hours. So they, they put it in the tank. They blew it up, and they realized, okay, that didn't make enough pressure, so it was just very explosives. And then uh, a month later, I get home, and my dad lived next door at that time, and he, he would get my mail and stuff, and there's this package waiting for me. And I open it up, 
Xerox sheets. One of them was had the names of the uh, detective, the FBI, and the bomb squad in their business cards in case they wanted to contact them. Uh, another one was the whole front page of the Tampa Tribune shrunk down. This is the guy's backing place, Hamilton, after they blew it up. And, and he put that in there. And then the last sheet, this guy was actually him who got the uh, backing place. He hand wrote, some assembly required. <laughs> And I've seen that way, but just, uh, I went like this, and everything just went between my fingers, and just pieces of clothing and batteries and oxygen masks, and, and then, and it made national news. I had friends in California calling me, saying, I heard that, 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 thing that was going on, and this happened right during, or, or shortly after they caught the um, Unabomber, and so that was the big deal, carries the urinal bomber, because of the, the urinals, yeah, and it's so that, uh, that's my... What year was that? What year? That's were 
and they let me know that my costs are not going to run for the year that I got there. And the cruise director had just emailed me to say that uh, we want you to go on the first night. We want you to perform the first night. And that does happen. That happens. They want you to perform. If you need to get there, you have to check real quick and then do your show. And uh, I found out early enough that I could hit the 7-Eleven before I went to the ship. I went to 7-Eleven. I found an art store on the way. I had a taxi driver take me to there. I was able to grab some newspapers, some eggs, some wire, some uh, sketch pads. I actually made playing cards for an alphabet trick. I literally built an entire 30-minute show. I had my music with me. I had some rope, and I got the party. And that's all I had. And I might have had a fun tip, yes. So those things were all I had, and I hit the 7-Eleven. I hit the art store, and I built props all afternoon. And finally, I was able to do a, I guess I had to do a 30-minute show, no problem. And I had my music with me, and they said, okay, let's make that happen. And it actually went really well. I actually survived that first night show. And then my props arrived the very next day. They arrived right the next door that we came in. They arrived, and they're offloading my props. This beautiful truck, I was so excited. Finally, I get to do my main show. This is the first night is usually the welcome aboard show, which means you do a shorter show. It's a lot easier. You just do your spot, and you're done, and then you do your main show later on in the week. Well, I was excited. My props arrived. I can do the big show. This is fantastic. I can't wait. They're offloading the truck. Forklift goes right through one of the cases. <laughs> and one case flips over. And the next case, which was my opening illusion, this beautiful yellow case that was brand new at the time, it started rolling. Rolling, rolling, rolling. Closer and closer to the ocean. And it kept rolling. And I'm on the back, uh, on the deck, watching everything happen. There is not a thing I can do. My shouting does nothing for the guys running the forklift and making all this noise and doing all these things. As I watch my case slowly rolling toward the edge of the pier, this close to the edge of the pier, somehow by faith, by luck, by whatever, I, I, I imagine it's falling right into the ocean. And I'm done, and this is a brand new product. A pallet from one of the things that they were loading onto the ship had broken off a piece of wood. And that piece of wood was laying right there near the edge. My case just happened to roll right up next to that little piece of wood. And it stopped right there. And thank my pallet. So, thank you. That was awesome. It would be much funnier, but much worse. Much worse. But that wasn't. I'll tell you that's not really the end. That happened to be the worst cruise I ever did, but they kept hiring me after that, thank God. Uh, I finally got my show on board. I did the show, and during, I'm uh, doing a sword box. They had this really cool sword box by Illusion by the design that was very deceptive, and I was all excited to perform this thing. I'm doing the sword, and I get up with the final sword, and I'm ready to push it down, and I hear beep, beep, beep. This is a fire alarm. Exactly where you are. The music stops, everything stops, the light stops, there's, there's nothing. When things like this happen, everything stops. You have no control of anything. And the captain comes on, and I'm standing up here with my sword. Finally, it finishes. And the sound guys were pretty smart. I actually knew my music enough that I could feel the timing of it. And it, it happened to be at the right time for me to start pulling the sword out. So I, I grabbed the slide sword in, pulled it out. The guy the sword, and somehow I finished with the music and we went home. 
supposed to tell stories about how we suck. And so far, you've all told stories about how awesome you are. Well, I think I brought that up at the beginning. I want to hear about you all sucking. I got lots more stories about sucking, by the way. I'm going to do my show, but I thought they know I cut myself, but I'm still going to 
show of the two-show night. I go down to the infirmary, and uh, I'm having the doctor look at it. And the nurse was saying to me, well, that was a really nice, uh, a nice magic show. And she goes, well, by the way, do you know that your microphone was on? And I go, what do you mean? And she proceeds to say every single word that I had said. So now, if any of you have been on a cruise ship or worked a cruise ship, uh, when you finish the show, if you've had a great show, you want to walk around the ship and be proud. If you've had a bad show, you're hiding in your cabin for the rest of the cruise. So I go up to my cabin, and I'm going, I'm going, I'm staying in for the next three days. And there's a knock at the door, and it's one of the jugglers, a friend of mine, a juggler friend of mine. And he says to me, hey, we're going to go out for a drink tonight. you got to come, because you know uh, what happened. I said, no, I'm not leaving this cabin. He goes, dude. Don't worry, it wasn't as bad as you thought, it'll be okay. So we go up to the disco, and I'm sitting over, and I get a beer, and I'm sitting, literally trying to be as small as possible, and I'm in a corner, kind of like looking down and not making much attention to myself, and out of the corner of my eye, I see this little old lady beelining towards me, and I know she's coming to me, and I go, okay, here we go, here we go, and she walks up and goes, are you the magician? And I go, yeah, that's me, and she goes, and I have to use the word, so I apologize for the young people in the past. How's your finger? And I then realized they knew I wasn't being malicious and whatever. So that's my first story. But the second story, uh, so, and, and so I did kind of, yeah, another <laughs> And so this second story is, uh, it's only been told, this will be the second time I've ever told this story. Um, so I was doing, I was very young. Uh, once again, I have a, another routine I used to do called, What's that? Well, you see it like this. Like in a show, in a show, in a show, like or whatever. Uh, so anyway, I used to do a, a routine called Orange, Lemon, Canary. For those that might know, uh, you have an egg, a lemon, and a grapefruit or orange, uh, and, a, and a parakeet. You make the parakeet vanish, and you make the egg. Yes. No worries. So anyway, <laughs> You, uh, you, anyway, you vanish from all the you cut open the orange, etc., etc. Well, anyway, I'm on the way to a gig, and I used to do these, what we call them phone sales shows, where you uh, go to the theater and they sold it all out by phone, boiler room, yet. Yeah. And I, when I get there, I know the producer of the show, I've done many shows for him, and I pull into the parking lot. It was like a 50 minute or hour drive uh, to the theater. And as I pull into the parking lot, I see the, the, the producer, and he kind of sees me, and he's coming over towards me. So I go to get out of my truck, and as I go to get out of my, my truck, as I open the door and I lean out my foot, I get this really, really bizarre, and I can't really give you an exact explanation how it felt, but a pain inside my, my like, stomach. Kind of like when you get that gas pain, but, like, really bizarre, weird pain. I never felt it before. And I kind of brought my foot back in, and I was only about 30 years old, so I knew it wasn't, like, it didn't seem at first like it was something really bad. So... I sit there for a second and I realize, okay, the mystery's in gas, I mean, a little bit. So I go to take my foot back out of the door and the pain starts again. I bring my foot back in and I'm like, now, when you get into these situations, I'm sure you've all had this, where something's like, you start to sweat. Your hands almost sweat immediately. I start to sweat, so I'm thinking, there's something really wrong with me. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, pushing on my body and I'm thinking, there's no pain there. No, okay, that's good. All right, try it again. I go on the third time and the pain's even worse. Now, I'm starting to freak out because I don't know what's going on. So I bring my leg in and I'm thinking, okay, what do I do now? This guy's coming, he's almost like a car. And I figure, well, I, I just got to get out of the vehicle. I, 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 I don't know what's happening. but So I get out of the vehicle and I can't even stand up. And the pain is like someone was pulling my inside there. What I didn't realize was for the ones on the 
testicles and my manhood to my leg. And as I was opening the door and stepping out, it was pulling the insides of my body. I had to be in the parking lot with a pair of scissors cutting my underwear and jeans off of my manhood in front of people that were going to be in the show. So moral of the story, don't put crazy glue in your pocket. Thank you. Wow, well, I hope you enjoyed those tales from the road, but we're not finished yet. We still have three more guests that I talked with when we stepped outside of the theater. And let me also point out that this was uh, bike week during Mer- in Myrtle Beach during this week that the convention was going on. And so during this time we were stepping outside, you can hear some motorcycles revving up in the background. So I want to apologize a little bit for that. And also, again, I want to apologize for the uh, inconsistency and quality of the audio that we had in this uh, earlier part of this. But this next part, I think, is uh, much better, more up to the quality that you've come to expect here on the Magic Word Podcast. And so this is going to feature three different guys. It will be Wacky Chad, Steve Beam, and the amazing Adam here on the Magic Word. So another person who was not part of what you had just heard there uh, and who was uh, uh, got a story to add, and he also was part of the uh, convention here at the Magic of the Beach, and that is Wacky Chad. So, Wacky, you've had some... Wacky. Chad, have you had some uh, interesting stories, I guess? Tell me something from the road. Yes. Yeah, so I actually have one that uh, it actually made it to my documentary. Uh, so I was, I was assembly editing the documentary called Becoming Wacky Chad. It's, uh, it's my brother's kind of work, and I was kind of assembly editing so he can get some footage together. So while I'm editing and helping with that project, I'm in Atlanta, um, and I'm like, I need to work. I need to go out and busk. Mm-hmm. So where can I busk in Atlanta? Because I do it regularly in Boston. Right. So I looked up. Piedmont Park was the place to do it, I guess. You know, there was like five spots in Atlanta to go busk. So I found a spot on a slow, like, Wednesday, you know, kind of thing. Just wanted to do it, like, at a 7 o'clock time or maybe I think it was, like, 2 o'clock. And I uh, had a security officer stop me and say, you can't be here. You can't do this. And I, I know that I can. I know um, that, you know, that busking has been through the court system. It is a First Amendment right. You can peacefully protest. If I'm able to basically have a conversation with three people, I'm able to basically busk. It, it falls under that. And so I, I just really know the law. I know the you don't actually need a permit for this, you know, if you're in a public space, right? So I had an, an argument with him, and he's arguing, hey, you can't do this. You're going to get arrested. He was, like, kind of threatening that. You're, you're going to get arrested. I'm like, well, well, why don't we get the police involved and, and, you know, see about that? You know, like, oh, no, you're definitely going to get arrested if you keep busking. Like, you can't ask for money. It's soliciting. You can't ask for money. And it just kind of brought it down because I just wanted to, like, try to find a spot in Atlanta and just kind of do stuff like that so I, I ended up recording the guy and i just just no busking like the like the back of my hand and i'm like no no we, we can do this so anyway there happened to be two police officers uh you know you know walking by and i kind of like waved him down like <laughs> like i was the one waving him down like arrest the security <laughs> officer he doesn't know what he's talking about but he kind of was like bullying me like the security officer so i wave these two police officers down and i got this all on tape 
and I ended up uh, uh, saying, hey, am I, am I soliciting, like, you know, because you can't solicit, I guess there's a panhandling law or whatever, or am I busking, does that fall under the First Amendment right? Like, and you, like, because I can sing a song, I need a dollar, dollar, a dollar is what I need, and people can just hand me a dollar. Like, it's no, you know, kind of thing. But if I kind of, like, annoy people, like, harass people, I guess, there's a kind of, that's where the, 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 the differentiation of it. So the police officer's like, no, no, you, anybody can hand anybody any money. There's no law on that. Like, and anybody can say what they want in a public space. So I ended up, so I'm like, let me, let me show you. So, so the police officer ended up ga- giving me a dollar. <laughs> In front of the security officer, like, hey, here's a here's a dollar, you know, and we were kind of laughing, like, oh, thank you for the dollar, you know, and and, and the the security officer says to the police, no, you can't do that, you can't do that. So, so we were kind of just like, oh, but well, what if I are you gonna arrest me now because I'm giving him a dollar? Like, who's gonna arrest me, you know? And the the security officer just wouldn't let it go. Wow. And it, and and I'm I'm kind of happy for it because. You know, I ended up sitting in the car kind of all frustrated, and uh, we got the whole thing on tape because I just kind of was like, whatever. And my brother, like, this is this is it right here. Like, I was like, oh, wow, okay. And I was just trying to <laughs> just work. <laughs> and you ended up not working or working? No, I, well, it was kind of a slower day. Um, you know, it's kind of like one of those things that you, you want to be invited. You want to feel like you were wanted. Yeah. So I ended up kind of just going to a different spot. I don't want to be annoying. Yeah, be that you know guy. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. So I ended up going to another spot and did, did really well. <laughs> but there wasn't a security guard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me move to somebody else over here, Steve Beam. You have uh, some sort of a story from the road? Well, it's actually the off-road. Okay. Uh, started out on the road. It ended up differently. I, I, I was going, I was on a tour years ago, sometime in the 90s. Bob Elliott had booked me for a tour up north. Yeah, north. So I, I, I was going heading up there, and I got a phone call that uh, Simon Lovell had called him, canceled, suggested he cancel my hotel room and I could stay with Simon. Mm-hmm. So I did. I'm staying with Simon. Simon says, well, in you his know, garage? No, I had a bedroom, okay. and Wayne Kaiser was on the trip with me. And Simon said, we'll go ahead, and uh, I'll take you to the lecture. This will all be great. It'll be a great experience. We can go out to dinner, go out to you know, lecture, et cetera. So I said, sure. Okay, so we uh, head out for the lecture. He wants to go straight to the restaurant. And I go, you know, I'll feel more comfortable if we check out where the lecture venue is. And it was in Wallingford, Connecticut, which is a very small downtown. And we went, and I think the lecture was going to be at some Moose Hall or some someplace like that, right in the downtown area. I said, okay, now I feel better. We've seen the place. Now let's go eat dinner. We went to eat dinner, had a quick quick meal, and then we're heading back. Well, as we're heading back, it is pouring down rain and perhaps the most rain I've ever seen. And we're headed back into this little downtown area, and they have a five points there where there are five options, five streets come together. Yeah. And I turned on the one before I wanted on the think of it as spokes on a wheel and I turned it the wrong spoke and should have gone should have gone one more so as soon as I turn we all realize I've made a mistake so I'm driving forward on that road knowing that I've got to go left sometime and Simon says well there's a place there well of course when Simon says what do you do you do what Simon says and I I couldn't see you couldn't see the road but you could see the break in the trees so I could tell that there was in fact a road there so I Turned on my blinker and cut, cut right in there, and all hell broke loose. I mean, it was really loud in our rental car. Well, it turns out I had driven. Now now that you can see straight ahead, I'm right squarely on the middle of railroad tracks. <laughs> and, I am, and I am steel on steel. The wheels are spinning. They aren't going anywhere. And I'm up on the railroad tracks, and I'm, we're behind. We're now in the middle of downtown. 
and we were, I, I actually, I remember I said, Houston, we have a problem. That's all I could think of to say. We, something's gone wrong. But we have no idea because why the big loud sound? And then we figure out, oh, we're on railroad tracks. Okay. And we started laughing. We thought it was funny. So then they got out and they tried to push. Well, it's steel on steel. You're not going anywhere. And again, pouring down rain. So then about after about one minute, I said, you know, we're laughing about this, but there could be a train on the way. That wouldn't be funny. And then I said, we, we got to go find somebody to tell, you know, and get, maybe get the cops or whatever. So this, I know this sounds unbelievable, but look at a map of Wallingford, Connecticut. And I wrote this up in the trap door, I don't know, 30 years ago. But we looked, we, we came out of the car, and we are at the ba- base of the steps leading up to this giant building, which is the Amtrak building. <laughs> so we're at the back of the Amtrak building. So we run up the steps, and I go, look, um, we got a problem, and we got our car out there on the railroad tracks, and, it's, you know, it's a problem. We probably, you know, in case there's somebody coming. And he goes, well, I'll check. And he turns around on his computer, and he comes back, and he goes, oh, yeah, we've got one coming. It's about 20 minutes out. I get it, need to get it stopped. So I said, fine, we'll wait. So he, he slows it down. And then he says, now, you can't go anywhere until the cops get here. I said, okay, that's fine. We'll wait here for the cops. Well, they took their own sweet time, but finally they showed up. But they weren't there to do anything with us. They were there just to keep us there because, and by the way, we're literally one block across a small town square to the Moose Lodge where I'm supposed to be. But we're there, and I can't leave to go start the lecture. And it's time to start the lecture. And they're saying, well, you can't go till the Amtrak cops get here. And I know we'll all sleep better knowing that they have Amtrak cops. So we are there (laughs) waiting for the Amtrak cops. And the cops are asking me, so so why are you here? And I explain everything to them. And I said, you know, I really need to go. And these are your people that you're going to upset. You can keep Wayne. You can keep Simon. And you can keep the car because it's not going anywhere because they'd called a tow truck. But let me go. Okay, and they all agreed that that was okay. So the cop said, "Well, show me a trick." So I showed him, you know, a quick card trick, and he goes, "Yeah, you go ahead." Because the Amtrak cops, I, I got to tell you, they really need to do something about that intersection. They have had a whole lot of people who did exactly what you did just in the last few months. And I'm thinking, well, there's a kernel of knowledge I'm glad I have. So I went over, started the lecture. Life is good until ten minutes after I start, Amtrak cops show up. They say, we're gonna, we need to charge you, excuse me, yeah, we need to charge you and do all this paperwork and everything, and we need you to watch us do the paperwork. And I'm going, I got a lecture here to do. What do you mean watch you do the paperwork? And he said, well, this is, this is what we're required to do. And I said, all right, fine. So we, go, we take a break. We call a break, an early break. This is early halftime. I go watch them do the paperwork. Well, they start doing the paperwork, and after, after I don't know, three or four minutes, and I'm just going nuts because I need to be in the other room, I said, you know, the regular cop, I said, why don't you call your boss and see if you can just let me go do my performance, and then we'll come back and I'll sign all the paperwork and give you your check. And he says, my boss wouldn't like that. And I said, well, you know, I heard that there's a whole lot of people who have done the exact same thing I did, which creates liability, and it seems to me that if that gets out, your boss is going to be filling out interrogatories for the next year and a half. Do you really want him upset? with? I went all Simon Aronson on him, okay? You know, I know people who are attorneys. I can quote it, you know. <laughs> So, so I did. I went all Simon Aronson on him. And he finally said, yeah, I guess not. I guess it doesn't make any sense. And I go, exactly. So he lets me go in, do the lecture. I do the lecture. 
that he comes back in, I sign the paperwork, and it was just, it, the rest of the lecture, as you might imagine, every trick involved a train. I mean, it just, you know, I'm a, I'm a trained magician. Yeah. I'm, the, the word got around, and I think these were the early days of the internet and everything, the word got around, and I'm doing the next several lectures. I'm greeted with train, toy trains, toy props, coffee cups from trains, you name it, I've got, I got a, I got a bridge deck of cards, two decks of cards in a box that are both trains and yeah. stuff. I, I had enough train memorabilia by the time I hit the house to, to, to never be able to forget the story. The little footnote to the story is I'm out in the Magic Castle, uh, 2014. I was going out there to accept an award, and they put me up in the Billy McCombs suite. And I go in, and they, they got a bookshelf there, and I'm flipping through the bookshelf, and there on there's Amazing Magic Stories, I think it's called. And I, I said, huh, well, that'll be interesting. So I pulled the book off, and it was for the general public. I'm flipping through it, and I see, oh, Simon Lovell. Lovell, got got an article in here by him. And I look, and there I am, and it's the whole whole story. Now, he does tell it from Simon's point of view. If you want the factual one, consult the trap door. But but it it was just interesting. Or this podcast, actually, yeah. Well, in fact, I think it's better if you read along with the podcast. So with the trap door in hand. Yeah, 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 much, much better. In fact, while you're at it, it'd be good if you were sitting on a stack of semi-automatics. Just saying. So that was my that, that was magic from the train magician in off road experience. <laughs> that sounds really good. Uh, let's move over to somebody else. Uh, the amazing okay. Adam. Tim has a story then also about uh, kind of being on the road. Oh yeah, I was. Uh, I don't know if you know, I was on the stand up comedy clubs for years, and I uh, had this one trick. It's called a uh, bill to almost orange. So, <laughs> almost orange. yeah, it, I do the whole bit where you burn up the bill and we have a. a uh, orange and we, we cut it all open and we open the thing up and they open up the uh, bill they check the serial numbers and they don't match at all <laughs> bill to almost oranges and I go oh crap I saw that on TV I thought it'd be good so, <laughs> but anyways so I'm doing this trick and uh, during the trick everything falls apart and I use duct tape to fix everything because I'm a man that's what we do we're a man we use duct tape that's what we do and um, uh, I have a hatchet that falls apart and I tape it all together and I have the guy holding up the orange he's helping me out and I, my line is, I'm going to throw this hatchet, piercing the orange, taking off a couple fingers for a big surprise. And the guy looked out at the audience, and he, I looked over, and he's missing two fingers. Oh, <laughs> <brilliant>. <laughs> true story. Yesterday. True story. Yesterday we did this. So, and, and, no, it's a true story. And so literally the guy did this. He saved my butt. He looked out at the audience with the, missing two fingers. He showed his hand with two fingers missing, and he goes, I helped him last year, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, sorry. Great story. Great story. Thank you, guys, very much. Well, this has been another fun episode together, and I hope you enjoyed all of these various stories from a variety of magicians. We had done something like this several years ago where we had done Gone in 60 Seconds and talking about some people who had lost some of their their magic things from the car that had been stolen, or their cars actually had been stolen, or their trailer full of magic had been stolen. Anyhow, it was kind of an anthology, I guess, of different stories. And so it's been a while since we've last done something like this, and I thought this might have some appeal to a wider group of people. People who just kind of like to hear a variety of stories from different people because everyone has their own way of telling a story and each of you have your stories then as well. Perhaps this might encourage you to share those with your other friends and magicians when you're at a club meeting or when you're out with other magicians and just enjoying something. So these are memories and stories to collect. 
A couple of last things to remind you to do, and one is to subscribe to the pod letter if you haven't already, so this way you can keep up to date from week to week what we're doing. Also let you know about any contests we have coming up, as well as suggestions from the archives. Also, I would encourage you, if you would please, to leave us a five-star comment on iTunes or Google Play or whatever platform you listen to these podcasts. I'm sure there is a way of posting your comments on that platform, and it certainly helps our podcast grow and lets others know about us then as well. So if you uh, love this podcast, or even if you like this podcast, even if you don't like the podcast, give us five stars. <laughs> if you know, if you can't give five stars, then suggest that someone else uh, listen to the podcast and perhaps they might think it's worth five stars. Anyhow, then if you could leave a, a positive comment, that, that again helps us just a whole lot. So until next week, stay well, get booked, and remember to learn from the adventures of others. This is Scotty out. Scotty out.